Hi guys. Listen, they're they're telling me the uh, the, the, the generators won't take it. The ship is breaking apart and all that. Just FYI. This is Dave. Dave Kill on the forums from California. Welcome to another episode of Treks in Sci-Fi with my pal Rico. So you guys came. Who wants the grand tour? Hello and welcome to this week's podcast, everyone. This is Rico, your host for episode 142 of Treks in Sci-Fi. Today's date is October the 7th, 2007. Uh, This week we're going to look at uh, kind of a retrospective on Star Trek The Next Generation. It's just about 20 years, uh, plus about a week, since it first premiered uh, way back in 1987. So I thought it'd be fun to do a podcast dedicated to uh, probably the best overall Star Trek series, Star Trek The Next Generation. Probably has the most fans. So we're going to be looking at that this week, along with a collectible, some listener calls, and the usual fun. Uh, Lots to cover. Uh, Let's get to it. Well, again, welcome to the show for this week's uh, edition of Treks in Sci-Fi, your Star Trek, Star Wars, sci-fi news and information show, looking at uh, older Star Trek episodes, newer sci-fi on TV and movies, and all kinds of things in between. Uh, this uh, this week, like I said earlier in the show, we're going to look at Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, that's going to be the main topic, and... Uh, if I sound just a little bit off this week, I, I've been up for a few hours. Got up very early this morning uh, with our puppy Kaylee. Uh, she just uh, seemed to want to get up at 4 a.m., so <laughs> that's always a lot of fun. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll power through this anyway. Uh, Got to get out the podcast, you know. Uh, again, if you're new to the show, uh, you can learn all about the podcast and, and all kinds of new things of forums and links and videos and all kinds of fun stuff. You can either go to the website treksinsci-fi.com or treksf.com. Both of those will get you to all the fun stuff. I did want to make mention of the fact that uh, I've relocated the forums for uh, that uh, connect up with the podcast and lots of good members there. We have an RPG game going, all kinds of good things. And those have been relocated to uh, treksinsci-fi.com forward slash forum. Uh, the old forum will still be up in kind of a read-only state for a while, but for all forum members that are listening, uh, you should be able to find the links and everything should work. Your old login should work. I was having a lot of trouble with... Uh, my web host, and the forum was uh, really operating slowly the past few weeks. 
especially the last month or so, and I decided to relocate it to uh, a new host. I'm using DreamHost now. Seems to be working pretty well. Still got a few little bugs to work out, uh, still tweaking the look of it and all, but in general, I think it's an improvement. Uh, so anyway, you can find that all at treksinsci-fi.com forward slash forum. Rico has the best sci-fi and Star Trek information on the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Got quite a few interesting stories coming out in the Star Trek realm of things. Uh, the biggest one this week that's pretty exciting, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this, uh, the two-parter from the original series, The Menagerie, is going to be shown in theaters for, as far as I know, one day only on this coming on November 13th, a little more than a month away. Uh, there's information up at StarTrek.com about this. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, basically, they're going to release the the high def version of Star Trek: uh, The Menagerie, which you know enhanced effects and things like that. The remastered version of this show that's being shown, uh, you know, lately on uh, various networks, also going to be released on DVD or I'm sorry, HD DVD coming in November. That's probably a, a little bit of the reason they're doing this. You can find uh, local theater links, enter your address. Uh, there's a couple in Michigan. It looks like they covered the country pretty well. 300 theaters. It's a special one night only showing on, again, November 13th. It's a Tuesday. It's going to, uh, they're going to show the episode both parts and they are going to have a, like a 30 minute uh uh, kind of behind-the-scenes retrospective. So uh, this is a really cool thing. Uh, it's nice they're doing this for Trek, showing it in the theaters. I've seen uh, probably in an old uh, old convention that I was at with Gene Roddenberry, they showed, uh, I believe, The Cage. So I haven't really seen a lot of original series Star Trek episodes in a movie theater setting. So this is pretty exciting, and I think it should be pretty cool. So that's uh, a bit of cool news for all the Star Trek fans. Other bit of news that I noticed uh, was that it looks like George Takei is getting an asteroid named after himself, uh, which is a pretty cool thing. Uh, I guess he's pretty excited about that. Uh, of course, uh, he's on Heroes this year on television, uh, showing up again as uh, Hero's father on that show. And I'm not going to give anything away about what's going on, but if you're not watching Heroes, uh, uh, well, you really should be. It's it's really good this season so far. They've only shown two episodes, and I'm really enjoying it. Lots of different plot threads going on and pretty uh, interesting things. Uh, it's all going to sort of come together, I think, shortly. But, uh, again, it's uh, it's a cool show. It's on NBC on Monday nights. I'm really enjoying it, along with a lot of the other fall TV shows. Uh, let me just give you, I guess, right at this point, a quick rundown of what I'm enjoying. Uh, the Big Bang Theory, I think that's on Monday nights on CBS, at least in the United States. Uh, you know, usually when I talk about these things, it, it's related to uh, showings in the U.S. So for people listening in other parts of the world, uh, Obviously, check your local listings for if you're getting these shows and when you might be. Uh, I know there are other ways to get uh, television in other parts of the world, uh, things like BitTorrent and that. But anyway, uh, enjoying that show. It's a little half-hour comedy show about geeks. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool, and it, it really hits home for me. Chuck is pretty good. It's on NBC on Monday nights. I'm enjoying that. Uh, uh, there's another show called Moonlight, which is a vampire detective show, kind of like Angel, but uh, a little different, different enough that I'm enjoying it. That's on um, Friday nights, I believe. Yeah, Friday nights on uh, CBS, I think that one is. Uh, and Stargate Atlantis has come back. I've seen the first two episodes of this season. That's really good so far. I, I've really enjoyed how they've uh, picked up all the, the storylines that they were uh, running with last season and are continuing that this year. Uh, 
there are a few cast changes on Stargate Atlantis as well. So uh, what else am I watching? Bionic Woman is, is okay so far. Journeyman, uh, sort of a quantum leap time travel show is good. Uh, so uh, that's kind of the rundown of what I'm watching. I tried Reaper. Uh, it didn't really catch me right off the bat. I watched the first episode of it. I'll probably continue to watch a little bit. Uh, it's just a lot of shows for us uh, sci-fi geeks on television this season, uh, more than ever, I think. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they all work out in the ratings and how many of them are still around uh, later in the year. Oh, I have to mention, uh, I want to thank uh, Dave Kill for our intro. Uh, I meant to play that when I did the comedy spoof type uh, sci-fi comedy show a couple of episodes back, a couple of podcasts ago. Uh, we're talking about Galaxy Quest, uh, but that was a cool little intro, and I decided to slip it in this week. And along those lines, uh, I also got an entry from John in Russia uh, for the comedy show that didn't make it in time to be included in that podcast. So I thought I'd play it for you right now. So let's listen to John's uh, comments about uh, sci-fi comedy. Hello, Rico. This is John Simlick from Moscow again, and I just wanted to pimp a couple of the st- sci-fi uh, spoofs or parodies that um, I've liked over the years. Um, I've always been a huge fan of Hardware Wars, that Star Wars spoof that came out, uh, I think it was a year after Star Wars, and had all the frying pans and um, irons and stuff like that. Another one that came out at about that time was a, a short film called Close Encounters of the Nerd Kind. Obviously a spoof of uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And I remember and vaguely remember enjoying that and liking that a lot. But one I really wanted to pimp was a more recent one called Star Wreck in the Perkinning. Uh, Star Wreck in the Perkinning is a Finnish-made movie. It's it's actually um, the latest of a series entitled Star Wreck. I think that shares the name of another Star Trek spoof novel, but they're not related. Um, as I said, it's Finnish-made in Finnish, um, but it's I think it's always available with subtitles. Uh, it's The most recent one was done with quite high production values. It's basically a feature film, a two-hour length or something like that, and it's quite uh, well done. Um, so I encourage people to, to find it. It's been all over the net for a few years, and as I said, you can just search it for on Google Video for free. Um, another interesting thing of note is that they actually came out with a uh, Star Wreck uh, role-playing game, which is available in Finland, and I'm sure you c- could somehow get it in other places. Okay, thank you. Well, thanks for your comments, uh, John. Sorry those didn't make it into the podcast when I was doing comedy, but it's still fun. Uh, lots of good stuff out there. Hardware Wars, yes, I think I have that on uh, VHS still. Uh, I, I That was a great, uh, they did a great job with that uh, very uh, good Star Wars spoof there. And uh, the Star Wreck in the Perkinning, however you say that. Yeah, I've seen that too online. Uh, if people search for that, uh, you should be able to find it on YouTube, I think, pretty well. Uh, it's pretty interesting. They, they The production values on it are pretty good too. They, they put a lot into that. Uh, you know, there's lots of good stuff out there. Things that I didn't manage to cover, uh, you know, the Chad Vader. YouTube is just full of uh, spoofs uh, of Star Trek, Star Wars, and other sci-fi things. So, uh, you know, just check out YouTube if you want to laugh. It's a lot of got. It's just got tons of stuff. Vulcan spice tea, hot.
computer, pause music. Begin recording communique. Dear applicant, a review of your Starfleet records indicates that you are an excellent candidate for assignment in the science department aboard the Tiberius. Your analytical and research skills would permit you to make a valuable contribution to our crew. I am pleased to recommend your appointment to Captain Quinn. Should he approve, your assignment is subject to an immediate confirmation of your acceptance of our offer. Upon receipt of your confirmation, I will personally contact you with the details of your transfer. Questions should be referred to my administrative assistant, Jen. You may reach her via personal message in the Trick SF forum. Congratulations. Commander Savril, First Officer and CSO, USS Tiberius. Computer, stop recording. Send message to this applicant. Resume music. That, of course, is our own Jen from the forums who plays Commander Savril in the RPG game going on on the Trex in Sci-Fi com forums check it out at uh the website uh, when you get a chance it's a lot of fun now uh, we're starting a new season lots of cool adventure coming your way uh, i got a couple other uh sci-fi stories here to share with you uh, it looks like uh, fox and jj abrams are teaming up uh, for a new uh sci-fi uh sort of uh otherworldly type x-file show called fringe it looks like uh that will be uh, showing up as a pilot and a possible series here in the future. I'm not sure exactly on a date uh, when they're going to work on this or when it's going to be released. It may not be until like next spring or even next fall. Uh, we'll keep you posted on that. Sounds pretty good, though. Uh, sounds, uh, you know, we haven't had a good, to me, X-Files-type show since X-Files went off. A big fan of that show. So I think, uh, although the Supernatural TV show, which I've only seen a little bit of, is kind of a little like that. But anyway, we'll keep you posted on the latest developments on there. Nothing new on the Star Trek movie from J.J. Abrams and Company. Still, there's this rumor of this guy named Mike Vogel uh, being uh, up for the role of Captain Kirk in the film. Uh, Still a rumor at this point, uh, but we'll keep uh, our eyes peeled on that and let you know what we find out. Oh, and I uh, forgot to mention earlier when I was talking about the asteroid story about uh, the Takai asteroid uh, two other Star Trek uh, people have had asteroids named after him. Gene Roddenberry, there's a Roddenberry asteroid. And Nichelle Nichols, there's a Nichols asteroid. Both of them also have numbers uh, in front of their names as, as well to uh, sort of uh, make sure they don't lose track of all these asteroids out there, I guess, between uh, Mars and Jupiter in the asteroid belt area. But uh, that's pretty cool, uh, pretty neat stuff. And, you know, there's so many of them out there. I think it's a neat thing that they do that stuff and name uh asteroids after famous people so that's pretty cool okay i think it's time we switched into talking about star trek the next generation 20 years of star trek the next generation being uh with us uh started of course back in the fall of 1987 the premiere episode encounter at farpoint uh showed up on september 28th 1987 of course, uh, this series was spearheaded and created by Gene Roddenberry. Gene, of course, created the original Star Trek and also created Star Trek The Next Generation, along, of course, with a lot of help. But uh, he basically pulled uh, a lot of the 
you know, behind the scenes people, producing, uh, writing staff, and that, uh, especially in the early years of Star Trek The Next Generation, he, he tapped into a lot of the people he had worked with on the original series on Star Trek. Uh, Herb Justman, especially, Dorothy Fontana, and uh, David Gerald, uh, a lot of other people. And, of course, Rick Berman came into the Star Trek fold uh, with Star Trek The Next Generation as sort of a line producer to begin with and later an executive producer of the show. Uh, and uh, for whatever you think of Rick Berman, I, I still think he did a good job with Next Gen and uh, was was pretty important, especially when Gene Roddenberry passed away uh, in about, uh, I think that was 1991, so uh, midway, a little past midway of Star Trek The Next Generation when it was on the air. Uh, they needed somebody to take over at that point, and Rick Berman, of course, was the one that did do that and become uh, uh, in charge of really the Star Trek franchise at that point. But that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Let's go back in time now and look at a, uh, a preview clip uh, that was shown uh, on this was uh, the preview for Encounter at Far Point that was showing up on television for the TV show. Tonight, the 24th century begins. Welcome to the Enterprise. In a special world premiere movie, Star Trek The Next Generation. Ready for departure, sir. Engage. 78 years have passed since the days of the original USS Enterprise. Now a new galaxy starship has been designed with a new team of highly skilled Federation explorers. Starfleet Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Commander Riker, Executive Officer, Chief Medical Officer Crusher, and her brilliant son, Wesley, Lieutenant Commander Data, an android, the telepathic Troy, Geordi, a man with unique vision, Security Officer Yar, and Klingon Officer Worf. Shields and deflectors up, sir. Go to yellow alert. Their first mission, investigate a new star base on planet Denim 4. Thou art directed to return to thine own solar system immediately. A hostile alien threatens the crew. Now go back. Well, thou shalt most certainly die. But they're determined to finish their mission. On our photon torpedoes. Place them on ready status. Hostel is now beginning to overtake us, sir. Together, they stand trial before a merciless court. You will now answer to the charge of being a grievously savage race. Now, they have 24 hours to uncover the secrets of a strange world. Define one far point, sir. Classic legend begins an all-new adventure. Let's see what's out there. Star Trek, the next generation. So there you have, uh, you know, that was on uh, television playing uh, while the night of uh, or so the day of the uh, original uh, first episode of Star Trek, the next generation when it came on the air. Let's give you a little bit of backstory. Uh, Back in the... uh, you know, late 70s when Star Wars hit and, you know, sci-fi was, of course, the the biggest and, and greatest thing in the world. Like, people have just discovered it, you know, like fire or something. Uh, they started to, uh, Paramount started to decide or t- started to think they'd do a new Star Trek series. This was called, uh, in some places, Phase 2, called a couple different names. But that eventually got scrapped when uh, they decided to start making feature films with the original cast so that's what happened in the you know late 70s early 80s with the the star trek crew you know the cast from the original series went off and did movies well gene uh was approached to do still eventually in the you know mid to late 80s they started to think about doing a star trek television series again now they had the movies going of course and they really couldn't afford and get the original crew back on television that just wouldn't work out they thought about possibly recasting the characters, you know, in their long, younger, what did I say, longer? <laughs> 
excuse me, uh, you know, maybe trying to recast the uh, the crew and having sort of the original series take up again. But they thought, no, that's not very, you know, that's not a great idea. Gene also wanted to uh, to do sort of a new show with new characters, new cast, and all that. So they decided to set something in the future. Originally, it was going to be a couple hundred years past the time of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy and the original crew uh, off into uh, the 25th century. But they decided to scale it back and only make it about, you know, almost 80 years in the future. So it wouldn't be that different. You know, they, they just sort of improved the technology. The ship, of course, was bigger, badder, you know, faster, uh, weapons stronger, shields stronger. And, you know, the crew uh, of the ship was a little more diplomatic. They weren't the, uh, you know, rough-and-tumble Kirk, uh, you know, old, uh, old West style of diplomacy, you know, days of uh, the TOS era. This, this was a more seasoned crew a little more uh, diplomatic, like I said. You know, the Captain Picard, he would stay on the ship a lot. The away teams would carry out the missions. Uh, so quite a few changes there. Let's go through the uh, the cast members a little bit and the different characters that they were playing. Now, the biggest role, of course, Patrick Stewart was the most difficult to cast. Uh, Gene Roddenberry, at first, he was not too happy or excited about having a, a British guy playing his French Captain Picard. Uh, he just really didn't grab him, but they were really basically running out of time. And uh, in doing some uh, background checks and things I've heard through the years as well, Rick Berman was uh, was one of the individuals, along with a few others, that was really pushing for Patrick Stewart playing Jean-Luc Picard. So, again, even if you don't think much of Rick Berman, I know a lot of people out there, uh, Star Trek fans, don't. Uh, but anyway, he is, uh, you know, his his eye for casting, I think, has always been good. And Patrick Stewart as Captain Picard, well, I don't think there's anybody out there who disagrees with it. You know, he's a fine actor and did a great job with the character of Picard. Now, the uh, other actors to play the some of the principal roles, Brent Spiner for Data, I, I think he was pretty much set, uh, as far as I recall. I think there might have been a couple other possibilities, but they liked him in that part quite a bit. Uh, Riker's character, uh, who played, uh, you know, played by Jonathan Frakes, uh, there were several other uh, people up for that part. Uh, Vaughn, uh, Vaughn Armstrong, excuse me, who went on to star in various uh, roles uh, throughout Star Trek. Uh, probably uh, he uh, played uh, Admiral Forrest in Enterprise the most. He was up for the character of Riker, along with uh, Bill Campbell, Billy Campbell, who played the outrageous Okona and who shows up on the TV show The, the 4400 these days and a lot of other TV series. Good actor. He was also up for the character of Riker. They have sort of a similar look, him and he and Jonathan Frakes, so I could see that. Uh, so that uh, was the uh, was going for Riker, or that those actors, uh, in, along with a few others. The two females uh, who played, you know, Tasha Yar's character and uh, Troy, uh, eventually Marina Sirtis and Denise Crosby. The big story, of course, with those two, and a lot of people out there may have already know this, is that originally they were cast in the opposite roles. Uh, Denise Crosby was going to play the telepath Troy, and Deanna, or I'm sorry, Marina Sirtis was going to play uh, the character of Tasha Yar, but uh, Jean was the one, I guess, uh, from what I've heard and read, that decided uh, near the end of the process or near the end of the casting thing that they were more suited to the opposite roles. And, you know, these days it's really hard to see them, how it would have worked out in, in, in you know, the, if they had switched and, and been in the other roles. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, Michael Dorn for Wharf, I believe, was uh, 
pretty much the only one that I could find out uh, in that uh, up for that part. Uh, he he really nailed that one pretty well. And again, I think he did a great job. Real solid actor, and really did a lot for for Klingons and and the character of Worf in the show. And uh, Wesley Crusher, Gates McFadden, I, I believe uh, those two Gates for Doctor Crusher and. And uh, why am I blanking? Uh, Will Wheaton, of course, for for Wesley. Uh, that uh, those people were pretty much set for their roles. Uh, of course, Wesley got his name from uh, Gene Roddenberry's middle name, Gene Wesley Roddenberry. Uh, that uh, that's where he got his name, and he wanted somebody on the show uh, that was sort of a child prodigy. With Gene was always kind of a very smart and intellectual child, so that kind of reflected his growing up time. And who am I missing? Uh, let me think. Oh, yes, uh, Jordy, Jordy LaForge, uh, played by LeVar Burton. He was also pretty much a, a set for that part. Uh, you know, LeVar had been doing a lot of great work on television at the time. He did, did Roots, of course, solid, good actor. And uh, his, of course, character, Jordy LaForge, Gene really wanted somebody on the show that was would show uh, that uh, people with handicaps even in the future were still uh, an active part of society and could still get past them. And he was very insistent that they have a basically a blind guy, you know, driving the Enterprise, steering the ship around. And uh, so that's where Jordy and his visor and all that stuff came into play, uh, which was a very cool thing. And his character's name came from a fan, uh, a fan named Jordy in real life. So that was a neat thing that they did as well. Oh, I was just checking a couple other references. Uh, I have to c- clear up something. Uh, I guess there were a few others up for uh, Jordy's part. Uh, Tim Russ, who of course went on to play Tuvok in Voyager, was up for that part, uh, and he had he you know really is a Trek fan, and he pretty much I think auditioned for any possible Trek part in any of the series that he could get. Ended up in a movie, and of course did a great uh, stint on Voyager. So he was up for a few possibilities here as well. Now let's move over more into the production and behind-the-scenes people. Of course, you had Rick Sternbach, uh, Mike Okuda, who designed, of course, the Okudagrams and the look of the uh, councils and things that you see on Next Generation. Really added a lot to the way the show looked. Andy Probert did the design of the Enterprise D. Uh, one interesting thing is it was going to be the Enterprise NCC-1701-7, or even a dash G, I think, would be the letter uh, or so they were gonna. They thought the Enterprise, just you know, seventy, eighty years in the future, there were, they would have gone through a lot more Enterprise ships in that time. But eventually, they scaled it back to just the Enterprise uh, D, you know, one seven zero one D. And of course, they had seen the A in the movie, so that was only a, a few uh, letters removed from that. So I guess the Enterprise doesn't get destroyed as often as they believe. And and when you think about it, uh, the original Enterprise survived for quite a long time. So that was probably a good move on their part. And I think part of that had to do with when they were going to set it more like 200 years in the future instead of just 100. Hey, I'm going to take a little break here, and we'll come back and talk more about the behind-the-scenes people. But I'm going to slide into uh, the podcast at this point. Uh, our buddy, the Duffster, who usually does our book reviews and things for the podcast, he's got uh, some comments about uh, TNG at 20 years old. So here's the Duffster, and I'll be right back in a couple of minutes. Hey, everyone, this is Duffster. And instead of a book review this week, I thought I would uh, help celebrate uh, the next generation's 20th birthday. Oh, I remember vividly sitting around and waiting for the premiere encounter at Farpoint with my good friend Mad Morph. We had uh, eagerly been awaiting this uh, 
this new series. Uh, we've been enjoying the, the movies that have been out, and but we really look forward to seeing Star Trek on TV again. So, boy, we, we sat down, we started watching this thing, and we watched kind of Far Point, and afterwards we were both kind of like, well, you know, it, it wasn't bad. That was, that was kind of cool. Um, but we, you know, we weren't totally excited about it, so... Here came the next episode, and of course, that was the one where they got the uh, disease from, uh, well, the same disease they had in the first series. So we were kind of hesitant at this point. We we're like, what, is this whole thing going to be repeats of old Star Trek episodes? Well, at least Star Trek was on this, um, on TV again, so we, we, we stuck with it, and um, I was... I was I would think I was a little less uh, critical about it than he was, but, uh, you know, along with those first episodes, of course, we had some really good episodes in the first season, like, uh, oh, like The Big Goodbye and uh, Skin of Evil, Tashi Yara's Big Goodbye, so um, it wasn't all bad. It was it was good, and it got better and better and better, and uh, I really enjoyed the seven years of... Uh, the next generation, and uh, it was really sad to see it go. In fact, the the, the finale we had a a Star Trek uh, how to host a murder party. It was it was quite fun. We all sat around and watched the uh, the last episode, and uh, well, I think there was more than one of us with a little tear in our eye just because we were saying goodbye to such a good series. So I just want to say uh, happy birthday, TNG from Duster. I've enjoyed it for a long time, and uh, hopefully we'll see Trek on TV again sometime soon. Uh, that's all for now. Ta-ta. Well, thanks for those great comments, uh, Duster, about uh, your first uh, impressions of Next Generation and how you uh, felt about it as the whole seven years progressed. Yeah, I was uh, pretty much feeling the same way, you know, a little underwhelmed at first. I also had some friends over. We watched the premiere, and it was just, you know, it was okay, but it had that kind of spark missing. You know, the thing I always liked about the original series just had a lot of, uh, you know, just good characters and people that you were really worried about. It just didn't feel that yet, but I guess after one or two episodes, that was to be expected. But of course, by about season three or four, you know, boy, did it really take off and came up with some great stories. They had some good stories in the early years as well, but, you know, the characters really started to come together, the scripts, the effects, everything. Of course, the effects done by Industrial Light and Magic for Star Trek The Next Generation were super you know, just superb, really did a good job. And I kind of miss the days of, of models and, you know, actual model photography being used for film and television. Now, now everything is like computers and CG and all that. And it's, it's, it's done real well and it looks good, but I kind of am a little old school and I miss those kind of effects. Uh, but of course, like I was saying previously, you know, Gene Roddenberry really was able to capture, uh, you know, lightning in a bottle, as it's called, uh, again, with Next Generation. Really did a great job at, at fleshing out the characters, uh, coming up with some solid uh, actors to play the different parts, and a solid crew of writers, which I think is key and, and probably the most important thing, perhaps, about uh, creating a good television show of any type is the writing staff. And David Gerald, like I mentioned, uh, worked on the show for the first couple of years. He eventually left. He had a little bit of a disagreement with a few things. He wanted a few things in stories that they weren't prepared to do yet, uh, especially with some gay characters and things. But anyway, that's uh, we'll leave that for another time and another discussion. I wanted to play now uh, 
This is a Entertainment Tonight uh, story on uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. A few months before it started to air, I think it was maybe shown in the you know springtime or summer. Uh, when uh, Next Generation just was going to premiere the next fall. So they talked to the different characters, or actors, I should say, you know, some of the other people. Listen in. This is a couple minutes long, and I'll be right back. The success of Star Trek, both motion picture and television show, has blazed the trail for this fall's new Star Trek The Next Generation. As the new series readies for blastoff, we went behind the scenes for an exclusive progress report on the latest entry into the captain's log. Star Trek The Next Generation is on its new mission to the galaxy of syndicated television to boldly go where no TV ratings have gone before. Go to yellow alert. Shrouded in secrecy, the new Star Trek TV series in production now will debut this fall with a two-hour premiere and then 24-hour-long episodes, all under the guiding hand of the original Star Trek creator, Gene Roddenberry. Roddenberry has brought back the Enterprise. Once again, the Starship's adventures will challenge the captain and the crew right here on the bridge. But if you're expecting to see Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, or Scotty, well, then you have a surprise coming. The captain and the crew of the Enterprise this time around will be some new faces. Since many of them were fans of the original show, the new crew works together as kind of a Star Trek fan club. Shields and deflectors up, sir. It was like a dream come true, actually, because uh, because of being a Trekkie fan. I walked in and I went, oh, my God, I'm in the transporter room, you know. Oh, check it out. This is the engine. And I'm explaining to my mom, okay, now this does this. And, and I walked under the bridge and I knew what everything did and, every, and who sat where and did this and that. And it was just, it was unbelievable. I could get used to this. Five, six-year mission? Yeah, feels good. It's not that the characters don't accept the mantle of responsibility they're charged with. My mission and the mission of my crew of the Starship Enterprise is to explore the unknown, to investigate that which is new and strange, to go where men have never been before. It's just that each of the Starship crew members has his or her own unexplored frontiers to conquer. I get to drive onto the Paramount lot now without any problems. That's been the best part so far. Far from the Paramount lot, 400 miles north in San Rafael, California, the adventures of the Starship Enterprise continue. It is here at George Lucas's Industrial Light and Magic that the special effects for Star Trek The Next Generation are being produced. It is a place that few men have gone before, but we'll go there and show you how it works tomorrow. Let's see what's out there. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting blast from the past. You know, John Tesh on Entertainment Tonight talking about uh, a new Star Trek series, Star Trek The Next Generation. Now, one thing to really keep in mind about Next Generation is this was uh, created for syndication. And, you know, with cable television and huge amounts of networks and things these days, it doesn't seem like such a big deal. But back in 1987, syndication was, you know, not not what it is these days, that's for sure. And to create such a very expensive show for syndication, which they had to go out and basically sell it to, to you know, stations that were usually UHF stations in different cities and different networks around the country, around the world, uh, was not an easy thing. But, you know, that label of Star Trek really, uh, really worked for it. And it became, uh, you know, one of the highest uh, rated syndicated shows in history 
Uh, actually, you know, it's it's really always pops up on, on these lists of best television shows. There's a British magazine that put it in one of uh, in the top ten uh, television shows from the United States of all time. It, it really has uh, it, it did well with the fans. It did well with the critics. It, it, you know, everyone basically loved it. You know, not necessarily, like I said, at first and maybe in the first season, but it did, uh, it really got stronger as time went on, especially by about season three. So this, uh, this series was a bit of a gamble, but it paid off. I'll just give you some little tidbits and, and, and trivia things uh, that I've been finding out and doing some background uh, for this podcast this week. Uh, couple of things uh the transporter room for next generation for example the uh the ceiling that they use if you look at the uh ceiling of the transporter room on next generation that is actually the floor piece that was used on the original star trek series they took a lot of actually little touches like that from the original show and slid them into the next generation a lot of the sound effects they tried to keep similar even you know the red alert sound uh uh, they, of course, they use very uh, similar uh, names for a lot of things, phasers, transporters, shields, deflectors, you know, the name Enterprise, you know, they could have called it another name, of, I guess, but that would have probably been a mistake. But, the, you know, they used a lot of that kind of stuff, and they were on the same sound stages, and, it, you know, it was really a very Star Trek uh, feel to the show overall. You know, the, the bridge looked quite a bit different uh, than the original set, did but actually the the size of it isn't really that different than the original bridge it just looks more different because of the different levels uh that it has and the way it's laid out and the brighter uh brighter look to it uh, you know it always got it being kind of accused of being a a hotel lobby that the uh the bridge of the uh you know 1701D enterprise kind of looked like a Hyatt Regency that you would walk into but uh I think it worked for the show pretty well a few other things, uh, you know, both uh, Marina Surtees and, and Gates McFadden both wore uh, pretty much wigs throughout the show. Uh, Gates had a full wig on all the time, and uh, Marina, who played, of course, Deanna Troy, had uh, a partial, you know, extra hair wig thing or whatever you call it. I think they call it a fall or something like that to make her hair appear uh, a little different, a little more exotic, I think, for her character. And, of course, she wore those dark uh, contact lenses because uh, her eyes are a natural green kind of color in real life, of course. But they wanted, you know, Betazoids, excuse me, Betazoids to have kind of a little more alien look to, to them. You know, didn't go quite as far as giving anyone with pointed ears like they did uh for Spock in her case, although Warp, of course, had a, a quite an elaborate makeup job each week. Uh, Michael Doran's character playing the Klingon with the little bumpy forehead and all that. So interesting story about that. You'll notice uh, that changes its appearance a little bit versus, uh, or excuse me, from season one to, I think it was season one to season two, because the appliance that they used, uh, and I, maybe the mold, I guess, too, because it seems like they could have made another one, uh, they, they were stolen. Uh, the headpiece uh, items and, and way to make it, I guess, at least two, were stolen uh, off the lot or wherever they were kept. And so they had to create a new one for the next season for Michael Doran's character for Worf. So that's why his forehead changes a little bit. Who knows? Maybe he's growing a few more bumps as he gets older. I don't know. But I'm sure they could come up with an explanation. And, of uh, course, uh, you know, Brent Spiner had to play the or Excuse me, not play. He played uh, Data, but he had to wear those yellow uh, contact lenses and the gold makeup and all that. Uh, 
An interesting thing about uh, that that I found out was that he was originally going to be the chief science officer, the you know, of the ship, and not, not at ops there, and you know, and basically uh, helping uh, on the bridge and running the ship. He was going to be not in a engineering support role, but more in the science role, which would have mean he would have had to wear a blue uniform. But that, I guess, didn't look good on camera. The blue uniform with gold, uh, you know, skin or, or real white uh, gold skin that he had. They said the color clashed with each other. So they put him in the uh, the kind of command uh, engineering uh, gold tunic that he ended up wearing. So that was kind of interesting, I thought. Oh, and when I was uh, talking about the different characters and casting and all, uh, of course, Patrick Stewart, uh, the story is that they did fit him with a hairpiece uh, early on and met with, uh, you know, Paramount executives, and they took a look, and, and no one basically liked it. It looked awful, and, you know, they were trying to decide whether people would be bald in the future. I guess the basic idea would be uh, there would be some kind of medical advancement, and, and no one would be bald, uh, I, I guess, unless they maybe wanted to be bald, uh, you know. And, and, you know, that's an interesting thing. You know, there's a lot of people that kind of shave their head these days and do things like that. So I... I guess they just realize also in the future, not only would people be, uh, maybe you could grow hair back through some kind of medical means, but there'd be people that just wouldn't care about that, and they would uh, be fine with being bald. Uh, you know, Patrick Stewart has a little bit of hair in back or whatever, but he usually kept it pretty closely uh, uh, cut, but they they rightly decided that a hairpiece would look silly. I, You know, remember those scenes where they would show him when he was back on the Stargazer and in the past? There were a few episodes they did that with he would show up with a hairpiece, and I'm glad that they uh, decided to leave that out because he just didn't, just doesn't look good with that on. Now, a couple other little tidbits for you. Uh, there's a, One of the producers, Joe Minoski, on the show uh, really likes the number 47. He's actually he's got a math degree, and if you notice the different displays when you watch the episodes, look around for the number 47. It shows up a lot on different uh, computer readouts and displays on the show and uh, another thing about this, uh, the sliding doors, you know, every time they would go through the bridge door or any door to somebody's quarters, I guess were very loud on stage. And you'll notice that basically anytime anyone's opening or there's a door opening or closing, the actors were all told not to uh, say their lines, to basically say their lines either before they would get to the door and it would open or after they were inside and after the door had opened completely. So that was an interesting thing. I didn't realize the doors were that loud that they never talked when the door was opening. Have to watch out for that. And a couple of last little things to mention. Uh, they had originally uh, thought about having a transporter room right adjacent to the bridge, which, you know, when it, you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. They were always, okay, you, you, and you come with me, and you, redshirt guy, come with me too or whatever, you know. And they would go to the transporter room always. but uh, So it would make sense to have a transporter room right next to the bridge. But Gene Roddenberry basically said no, that, you know, for dramatic effect and to have people be able to talk and have conversations on the way to a mission or the way back from a mission, he'd have the transporter room somewhere else on the ship. It made more sense to him. Uh, Bob Justman, who worked on the show, worked on the original series as well, he kind of came up with the idea of having that captain's ready room. You know, a lot of military ships have have a little room uh, near, you know, the bridge of the ship, uh, a ready room for the captain to talk to his senior staff and officers about things. And it, it really works dramatically. Uh, so that was a cool little addition that they had that little office for Picard to sit in and everyone would come talk to him in there. And they wouldn't have to have all these conversations, you know, sometimes things they shouldn't really be talking about in front of everyone, in front of the whole crew right on the bridge of the Enterprise. So, you know, lots of neat things like that. You know, it's just... Uh, 
It's a very good show, and it still holds up to this day. They're releasing uh, next, uh, I think it's next month it comes out, uh, or maybe it's late this month. If you go to Amazon.com, they're releasing the entire series, uh, Next Generation, on DVD, one entire set. I think it's around $300, which isn't too bad for seven seasons of this great television show. I'd like to, at this point, uh, kind of give you a lot of background characters, behind-the-scenes things. Now we're going to switch into talk about a little bit about the episodes. I'm not going to spend a lot of time because, of course, I cover uh, various Star Trek episodes each week on the podcast, uh, more or less. But I want to bring out a few highlights. I thought that would be kind of fun. And most of these are just the preview clips for the episode. Uh, the first one up, let's play uh, probably uh, the... Uh, the, probably on most lists, this is probably about the most popular episode, two-part set of episodes uh, of all time from Next Generation. So listen to this. They're the most powerful force in the universe. Now the Borg have the most destructive plan ever to conquer the human race. You have committed acts of aggression against the United Federation of Planets. Target 1, the Enterprise. Directed, Deck 9. Jordy, evacuate engineering. Target 2, Captain Picard. Your culture will adapt to service hours. We would rather die. The final target. Earth. On the next exciting episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation. And, of course, that's the uh, Best of Both Worlds preview preview for uh, episode one of that uh, two-parter, excellent two-parter. And that's probably the, you know, one of the episodes that really set the stage for a lot that, you know, a lot of the future episodes that were to come, you know, set up the threat of the Borg. You know, keep in mind the Ferengi were supposed to be sort of the original new bad guy instead of the Klingons in Next Generation, but they just didn't come off as very threatening, I guess. So they came up with the Borg, and, you know, the rest is history, as they say. Uh, I want to slide uh, in here uh, another commentary from a listener, and then we'll go back to do a couple more episodes before we wrap up this look at uh, 20 years of Next Gen. This is from uh, John in Russia talking about his uh, thoughts on Star Trek The Next Generation. Hello, Rico. This is John Semlik from Russia again, and I'm sending in this podcast comment in reference to your 20-year anniversary celebration of TNG episode. And actually, what I want to say in this comment is uh, that I want to recommend another podcast, another Star Trek podcast. Uh, yes, I'm going to plug some competition. But um, if you're like me and you're a fan of Rico's podcast, you, you may you love it, but you may want something more. And that's how I felt a while back. So um, I, I did some searching and found another one, and I'd like to recommend it now. It's called Make It So. It's made out of the UK and uh, by a couple of British Star Trek fans, and they're on their 48th uh, episode now. Uh, their website is simplysyndicated.com, and actually the, the people at that website do quite a number of podcasts. Uh, I think they're all... The others are all not related to science fiction, uh, but I think they're quite, you know, experienced podcasters as a result of that. One of the other ones they do is something called uh, Movies You Should See, in which every week they pick a movie and talk about it for a while. Um, the reason I'm recommending this one right now is because uh, they also did a 20-year anniversary of TNG episode, and they did a really funny take. They pretended that they went back in time 20 years to the very day that TNG came out and talked about it from that perspective. So they speculated on how TNG was going to turn out and how the characters are going to develop and so on. And they did a really good job of that. Um, 
one of the funny things is they talked about the possibility of more Star Trek ter- series after TNG, and they had a funny look at that. They 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 actually even um, took some of the very established TNG characters and speculated that some of them might be gone after just a few series or a few episodes. I mean. So anyway, uh, make it so. Uh, they they generally speaking are uh, as a podcast are more TNG slash DS9 centric as opposed to Rico's TOS series. But they're very knowledgeable of all things Trek, and I think you, if you checked it out, you'd enjoy it. Uh, thank you. Well, thanks again for your comments, John, about uh, that other Star Trek uh, oriented podcast. Make it so. You know, I. I think a long while back, I checked out one of their episodes, uh, maybe when they were early on and starting out. Uh, I'll have to check them out again. I haven't checked them in a while. And, uh, yeah, a little uh, other uh, Star Trek podcast. That's fine. That's uh, great. I'm more than happy to talk about those. And, you know, this one, Treks in Sci-Fi, tries to cover uh, more than Trek. You know, we kind of focus on Trek a lot, but other sci-fi as well. So, anyway, make it so. I'll, I'll take a look for that on iTunes. Okay, uh, a couple more episodes I want to make special mention of as we sort of wind down this look at uh, 20 years of Star Trek TNG. Uh, this next one is is a real favorite of mine. Uh, I've covered it on the podcast uh, way, way back early on in the show, but listen to this preview. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation, an enterprise from the past rips through time and alters the future. I'm supposed to be dead. Now, Lieutenant Yar lives again to help the crew fight a devastating battle. This war is not supposed to be happening. You've got to send those people back to correct this. And one courageous team must die to save the Federation from destruction on Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes, that's, of course, Yesterday's Enterprise, uh, which brought Tasha Yar back. Uh, and also, uh, you hear Whoopi Goldberg playing Guinan in that. You know, Whoopi is a big Trek fan, very inspired by Nichelle Nichols on the original series of Star Trek, and got herself a role on uh, TNG as Guinan, uh, which uh, was a great character. You know, that was the other thing I didn't have time to really mention much about you know, looking at TNG and Next Gen, they had a lot of really cool uh, stories and guest stars uh, over the years. John Delancey as Q was always great. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan. Uh, Dwight Schultz as Barkley. You know, they they just did a great job with uh, casting uh, great actors in a lot of different parts. Okay, let's look at another favorite of mine. And uh, I have to mention uh, the recent Entertainment Weekly magazine that comes out uh, roughly weekly uh, it's uh, it's got a nice little insert inside of it on on Next Generation, and they went through and picked I think their top ten uh, their favorite top ten TNG episodes, and I agree with them for the most part. Uh, you know, it's always hard to pick the you know the favorites, the top ten. But here's another preview for you of another good episode. Next time on Star Trek: The Next Generation. It's unjustified. It's unfair. He has rights. Starfleet experiment threatens to dismantle data for android research. And what's at stake? My very life. No, Captain Picard is data's last hope for survival. What is he? A machine. And now a man will shut it off. Objection. On Star Trek, the next generation. Yeah, there you go with uh, The Measure of a Man. Uh, really good episode uh, and, and kind of appropriate. You know, here you have an android, a programmed machine to basically simulate and act like a, a person, like a human being. 
and does that machine uh you know is it sentient does it have uh, rights does it you know can it exist or do you, is it just property can it exist on its own that kind of thing really interesting stuff and tng tackled that kind of you know episode a lot uh gene roddenberry again a heavy influence on that kind of stuff did it a lot in the original series you know things moral choices ethical ethical dilemmas and, you know lots of lots of uh, uh great storytelling basically uh, I think I've got, yeah, just one more preview, and then we'll kind of wind this up. Uh, here's another one, uh, uh, another favorite of mine uh, from uh, TNG. I think this is fourth season. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation, Picard faces his most difficult mission, the long journey home. I seem to have made a rather disturbing discovery. Family reunion takes a twisted turn. What the devil happened to you up there? Turning brothers into bitter rivals. I even enjoyed bullying you. A tragic homecoming on Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes, that's, of course, the uh, from the episode Family, which was the follow-up episode right after uh, Best of Both Worlds, after Picard had uh, been... Uh, rescued from the borg and he you know he goes to france and and deals with uh you know the the basically the pain and the you know the mental uh you know anguish over what the borg had done to him and, you know great episode great acting by uh, patrick stewart in that one so so that's it uh you know there was tons of tons of of great tng episodes you know and a few clunkers in there as well but you know after seven years and the number of episodes that they did, uh, you know, throughout the whole series, that's to be expected. You know, you're going to have a few clunkers, uh, especially from the early seasons, I guess. But I try to focus on the ones that I, you know, enjoy. And I know everyone out there has got their own favorites. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to cover those slowly over the, po- you know, over the different podcasts over the weeks and months. And, you know, we'll be getting to those. Uh, if you want to check out the forums and put in your request, or just shoot me an email, treksf at gmail.com, and, you know, mention an episode that I might not have covered yet. There's quite a few that I'd still like to do. Uh, well, yeah, I'd like to do them all eventually because they're all great in their own ways. Even the clunkers are kind of fun to cover once in a while. But uh, anyway, 20 years of, of Star Trek The Next Generation. You know, it just seems like, as they say, it just seems like it was just yesterday when it started all. You know, it's uh, it's still cool to see the people and the actors at, at conventions and you know, I still wish they they throw up another uh, TNG movie. Who knows? Maybe we'll see that at some point in time, uh, even after this J.J. Abrams movie that's being worked on now. So uh, I think that's about it. You know, I tried to cover it, uh, you know, in general and, and give you a few little tidbits of things you might not have known about the series. Uh, you know, great show. It, it's, again, hard to believe it's been 20 years, but I think I'm going to have to pull out some DVDs later on this evening and, and watch a couple of episodes of TNG. So uh, until, uh, you know, until we hit the next episode, that's about it for this look at that. And uh, to uh, segue into uh, a quick collectible review, uh, I'm going to take a little break. But during that time, you are going to hear a uh, TNG look uh, by uh, the Moyers. Rick and Nathan, I believe, do this one. And it is their take on 20 years of Star Trek The Next Generation. I'll be back in five. Where is my dad? I 
I want my father. Now, 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 now. Hi, this is Rick. You're my number one. This is Rick. My number one dad. This is Rick. And this is Nathan. And this is is the the Father Father and Son Son Review. Review. Rico, we're so excited that you are covering the 20th anniversary of The Next Generation. My all-time favorite Star Trek series is what you're covering today. And we're just very excited. My son here was born in 1990 which was three years after The Next Generation was on TV. And Nathan, what have you thought about The Next Generation over the years that you have been alive? Because we've watched a lot of Next Generation. It's been very inspiring. And even though I've made fun of Wesley on the forums, I actually he was one of my biggest role models when I was a child, next to Lucas on Sequest. Yeah. Because they were like the same character, except one of them killed themselves. Moment of silence for Lucas. Okay, so anyway, we really enjoyed The Next Generation. It was just such a great show for a lot of different reasons. We liked the special effects. They were kind of cutting edge for the time. Um, I enjoyed The music was really good, and the acting was just awesome. Who's your favorite character on The Next Generation, Nathan? Oh, my gosh, that's a really hard one. It is a hard one. Who do you think? I'm not sure. They're all really far up there with me. I really liked Wesley, but he was sort of a jerk towards the end of the show. Yeah, well, that happens. Well, what about... I like Jordy a lot. Mm-hmm, me too. I like Jordy a lot too. I think Hello, my favorite. stranger. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Jordy always had those hilarious lines. I think my favorite was either uh, Captain Picard or Data, were my two favorite characters. And <laughs> Beverly, <laughs> there must be a, <clears throat> a formula. <laughs> anyway, we really, really like the show. And in honor of the show, um, I wrote a poem called Ode to the next generation and I thought I would share it with the listening audience today so um, Nathan if you will uh, you can be my mix master and add the music and all the sound effects alright yeah okay so here we go This. okay that's enough that's enough this is Ode to the Next Generation by Rick Moyer no I'm not doing it to a rap version here we go Twenty years ago today, as I gazed at what I call my TV, I saw a ship flying through space. It was the good old NCC 1701D. She'd been reborn years later than Kirk, McCoy, and Spock. The cast was full of aliens and exciting technobabble talk. The look and feel of the show was different than before, yet had the elements that made me watch and kept me wanting more. The captain was a curious man, his accent from a different page. All through the years he'd dazzle us, as Captain Picard said, simply, engage. His first officer was astounding, dedicated, loyal, a ladies' man, and fun. Commander Riker made us laugh, good old faithful number one. Who could forget that red-haired doctor, the lady who made Picard a blusher? She always had a way about her. That's Dr. Beverly Crusher. <coughs> Beverly, Beverly. She had a son, a genius. He would save the ship to his fame. Picard became his mentor and friend, and yes, Wesley was his name. The engineer with spunk was quite a rooted factor. Even though Geordi wore a barrette, it was his visor, and he was quite the actor. And who could forget our Klingon friend who had ridges on his head, a batleth-fighting hulk named Worf that would visit Stovacor in the end. And who did people bother to consult with when annoyed the counselor of the ship Deanna Troy the Betazoid Data the android was pale and his skin was void of color a special treat throughout the series when we got to meet his brother all of these characters charmed and graced our TV screens 
as we would gather week after week for seven years of priceless scenes. Romulans, Cardassians, and a host of other races, Ferengis of the Shellnack, and Vulcan familiar faces. The interactions of the crew were addicting to the core. The character development made me come back each week for more. A friend is what the show became as it went into syndication, and 20 years later it seems that it still captivates our nation. To boldly go where no one, no one has been before, TNG, the next generation, is what Gene imagined and more. Inspiring us to think in a way bigger and with adventure, hoping for a brighter time where things go well in the future. Happy 20 years, Enterprise D, and all the adventures we flew. You hold a dear place in our hearts. We're different because of you. Adventure and future didn't rhyme. Well, thanks a lot. That you just like kind of ruined the moment, didn't you? <laughs> Did you kind of ruin the moment there, Nathan? Thanks a lot. I was just kidding. I, I know. Anyway, out of uh, five stars, what do you give Next Generation as a whole of a series? Six. I do too. I'd, I'd definitely say that. We love Next Generation. Negative six Flash Gordons. <laughs> there you go. Right there. That, that All right. It's positive, by the way. Okay, Rico. Thanks for everything, and thanks for uh, the wonderful stuff that you do on the on the uh, forums, and the podcast is great. We think you're awesome. And this is Rick. And this is Nathan. And this has been The, the Father and Son Review. I want my father. Now, now, now. Engage. Wow, that is a it's a tough act to follow, Rick and Nathan. Uh, you guys did a great job. Love the poem, uh, Rick. You do a great job with those always, and uh, you know, it was great to hear what you guys have thought about the show and the different characters and everything. You know, like I said early on in in this week's show, you know, TNG is probably uh, for most people the best of the Star Trek series out there, and you know, they just had so many nice uh, things to offer and, and share and. I, I just hope, uh, you know, my, my goal these days and, and for maybe everyone that's listening is, you know, tell somebody to, to check it out. You know, sometimes people see sci-fi and Star Trek, you know, labels on things and they say, well, gosh, I won't I won't like that. But I'll tell you what, if you pull any of these of the, the best of Star Trek The Next Generation episodes and, and sit somebody down in front of them, they, uh, they I think, will enjoy it. So uh, go out there and try to introduce somebody new to Star Trek TNG for the 20th anniversary. So, again, thanks, Rick and Nathan, for your uh, audio uh, extravaganza entry this week. Okay, since I uh, haven't been covering collectibles uh, for the last couple of weeks, I, I definitely wanted to cover something this week. I've gotten a few new things lately. Uh, unfortunately, they're not Star Trek or TNG related, but uh, I thought I'd cover them anyway. Uh, we'll slide one in for this show. Uh, again, it's not Star Trek, but it is Star Wars. And the thing I want to talk about today is a another clone helmet. Yeah, this, uh, this helmet I got eh, maybe about a week and a half ago approximately. This is the uh, Clone Commander Gree helmet uh, that was featured in Revenge of the Sith. It's another Master Replicas item. Uh, this basically is the, the helmet of the guy, uh, one of the clone troopers that tried to take Yoda out. If you remember that scene, you know, when Yoda, uh, the Order 66 thing comes through and 
all the Jedi are being slaughtered. And, of course, Yoda's just a little too quick and a little too smart for these clone guys and, and chops them down. So uh, if you remember their, uh, their clone armor on uh, the Wookiee home planet on Kashyyyk, uh, if that's how you pronounce it. I can never pronounce that. Anyway, they had sort of a green camouflage kind of look to their armor. You know, this, at least in the uh, the Clone Wars, these these people were a little bit smarter than just walking around in the jungle in white, bright white armor, and they camouflaged it a bit. And this helmet is, uh, you know, representative of that. It's got sort of a green camouflage and silver look to it with some uh, modeling on it, and, and it's got a little sort of battle damage look to it. Uh, this, they did a really nice job. This is probably, from everything that I've read online from other people that have gotten one and from seeing one in person, this is probably the best of the Clone Trooper helmets, I think, that Master Replicas has produced. Of course, it has a lined interior, so you can wear it on your head. It has a very cool green-tinted visor that you can look through and you know makes everything look green, which would be a little weird, I guess, if you're walking around in the jungle and everything looks green in the jungle and you've got a green-tinted visor on. Hmm, I wonder what it would look like. But, uh, you know, this is mostly a replica for uh, display. I, I wouldn't really ever want to wear this thing. Uh, it looks pretty darn uncomfortable anyway to do that for any length of time. But the paint job is just uh, wonderful. Actually, when I pulled it out of the box, it just uh, still reeked of, of paint. Probably lasted for about the next couple of days in my collection basement area here in my little fortress of solitude. When I put it up uh, on the top of a shelf, it's... Uh, it's airing out still, I think. But anyway, they, uh, you know, it's a real nice item. It was an exclusive to uh, collector societies, Master Replica Collector Society members only. Uh, I believe they only, yeah, they made 500 of these, and uh, I got one in the 300. So it's a really cool helmet. Uh, you know, a little expensive for the average collector, but, uh, you know, something that uh, I'll be able to hold on to for a real long time. And kind of a one-of-a-kind or at least one of 500 item. Master Replicas, of course, at the end of 2007 isn't going to be producing any new Star Wars pieces. So, you know, it's time to get these things when you can. Uh, right now, uh, MasterReplicas.com is where you go to look. Uh, this helmet, of course, is sold out. Uh, you could look on eBay for them. I think if, I've seen a few of them up on there. but uh, And I know some of the other guys on the forums have gotten one as well. So really nice piece, uh, and I'm glad I got it. Okay, folks, that's going to wrap things up for this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi, the podcast sci-fi extravaganza that you know and love. Uh, hey, a couple comments. Uh, first, uh, check over on Podcast Alley and uh, you know slide a little vote for Treks in Sci-Fi if you enjoy the show or any other podcast that you might listen to. Give them a vote as well. You know, these guys... Uh, we're all doing this just because we love it, and but, you know, it's nice to get a little promotion once in a while, get more listeners in, you know, get a little more interactivity. I always love getting the uh, audio comments from you guys and play those on the show, and that's what keeps it interesting for me as well, too. So check that out. Again, you can find other uh, information out about this show at treksinsci-fi.com or treksf.com. Both of those will get you to uh, the main page, get you the other links and other sections for the website. You can always email treksf at gmail.com or call the voicemail line 206-666-127. Or if you'd like to send just an audio file in, just email it along, you know, attach it to an email to the web uh, email address I just gave out. Next week, we will be giving uh, or going back to looking at a Star Trek episode 
probably an original series episode because I haven't covered one of those in a while. I will be posting up what I will be covering on the main website uh, probably later on today. Until next time. Oh, one last thing. Uh, This week, for a little added different change, I am going to play a song at the end of the podcast. This is by uh, someone named Jen, which you can find more information about her at imjen. I think that's the link, imjen.com. She's also on MySpace. I'll put uh, uh, links and uh, information about this into the podcast notes for this week. But this is a cool little song. I actually heard it first uh, on Jawbone Radio. Uh, Len played it uh, a week or two ago on his show, and I really liked it. It's called Homesick Alien, and here is Jen. I will talk to you, everyone, next week. Bye-bye for now. This podcast, copyright 2007 under Creative Commons by Rico. Enjoy the song. Wish I brought my ring.